Nikki Pau-Preto. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for being on Readers on Writers. How is your summer going? It's going wonderfully. Um, I just had a birthday, so July has been pretty chill, but I do have several deadlines like I'm on <laughs> one right now so I do have to work but I have been enjoying myself as well so good yeah good summer yeah it's kicking it off yes <laughs> hitting the ground running yes exactly so I love how you have all the books displayed in the back look at that <laughs> those covers are beautiful they are so beautiful I got so lucky. I want to ask how long did it take for the process of getting them illustrated so perfectly they're amazing well, interestingly, you know, for me, traditionally published, the publisher does most of this stuff for you, right? And everyone had, every author has like, I think a different experience. I had zero input, honestly. Oh, no um, so this, the Crown of Feathers, the first one just appeared in my inbox, you know, about, <laughs> about a year before the book was set to come out. And I like lost it. I loved it. Like, I like ran around my house. I was like, <laughs> I just, I was so pleased, but they actually had it. They did a whole different version. Um, I have it. So I don't have it on me readily, but they did a whole different version. Um, they commissioned a different look, and it was much darker. And they just decided to go against it, and then they went this direction. So there was much drama that I had nothing to do with. That apparently, you know, not drama, but it took a few tries, and uh, then they landed on this. And for me, it was just so perfect. Like again, I had no input, no, like, I had no involvement. I could take no credit, but I adore it. And it's amazing. It's everything, it's everything I wanted. It was very like, I remember at the time being nervous, not nervous, but you know, it was like trends and covers. Right. And I'm trying to think at the time, I think like red queen was very popular, which is like very simple, kind of like white background, a crown, like a bit of blood, like very simple. And it could be about anything. And I remember hoping that it was more like specific and that it was more like this, I think tells you exactly what you're getting. And I was just so pleased with it. Like it was, it's illustrated. And there's been so many illustrated covers since then in YA, but I don't think it was really the norm then to have like full scenes like this. So yeah. I was just so pleased with it. So pleased. They, they're all stunning. I, I don't even know. I, so I don't know it's my favorite, but they're all amazing. <laughs> I know, they're all so amazing. You look at them real close, you're like, oh my goodness. It actually, I don't know what it was, but I've seen the Wings of Shadow cover, I, I guess, from the beginning of when I started, mm -hmm. when I was presented um, your book. Mm -hmm. And only recently, when I was like sorting everything out for the podcast, I was like, wait, there's someone riding the Phoenix. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I can see, um, I guess, that is that... Aval, not Avalkyra in the back. Yeah, yeah. it's Avalkyra in the back. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Such yes. a good cover. I remember, like, once we got um, the Crown of Feathers cover, like, I was hoping we would get, this is a, this is a Strix, the Blackbird. Yeah. And I was like, I want one on the third book. I want one on the third I know. book. And the eyes are so, like, intense on the Strix. Yes. I Sinister. love that cover. Yeah, it, it was, was like, really... I mean, again, I just got so lucky. Like I had yeah. for none of these, I didn't really have any involvement in any of them. Like mm -hmm. by the third, they kind of showed me the rough draft and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I'm <laughs> into it. please. But I didn't give, I didn't say what I wanted. Like I didn't really contribute. So I just feel so oh. lucky. All right. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I co-narrated on Wings of Shadow mm -hmm. and I'm guessing you had say in who your narrators were. How was, what was you know that? What? You are the only narrator that I chose. I the only know one. That. <laughs> yep. So again, kind of like the cover for the first book, the audiobook. Like I had no involvement. 
involvement. They asked me at some point, I think for like some pronunciation help. Um, mm -hmm. And I sent them like a list of some kind of like phonetically sounded out some things. That was it. And then one day there was an audiobook. I didn't pick any of the narrators. I had no input. I was very happy they did more than one narrator because it's multiple point of view, right? So each yeah. chapter is a different character. So I was like so happy we got multiple narrators. Very cool. I didn't get any choice until the third book when they said, we're looking for a narrator for Sparrow. Here's, I think, four options. Like, tell us what you prefer. And you were my number one pick. And oh that's goodness. the only, yeah, you were perfect. I was so excited. Oh, that's so nice to hear. I'm just yeah, it was so cool. Like, like I said, it was the first time I ever chose. And, you know, they send you a link. You weren't reading my words. It was like to another book you had done, right? Right. Same with the other narrators. Like, it wasn't like the audition with a snippet of my work. It was just something else. So I listened through them all. And you just had this, like, the youthfulness that I think Sparrow had, but a bit of grit or something. I don't know. You had this like X factor. I was like, yep. Oh yep, my God. One. <laughs> so it was very cool. I actually got to pick you. You're the only one I picked. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> so special. And you nailed it. You were so good in that audiobook. Oh, <sighs> Sparrow is such a fan favorite. So I was really, really excited to be involved in that. I so love cool. her character so much i love her chapters i listened back to them i was driving back and forth from northern california to los angeles a, a few weekends ago and i was like i'm gonna listen to wings of shadow i told you and i was just like and even the phoenix because i do what's her name again oh my goodness um oh do you do more i didn't even know uh do you do that uh epigraphs or whatever? yes i do oh cool. you sound different i, I know that. yeah i forgot cool. that i did until i played it i was like wait that's also <laughs> <laughs> that's me too <laughs> yeah i loved sparrow's character i love how like how you sort of like i don't know if i if this is a spoiler but how you sort of like allude to her lack of vision mm-hmm well, she was, I mean, I was nervous, like she's, she's in the whole series, but it's not until the third book that she gets her own point of view. And I was nervous, you know, she's, she's a blind character. Yeah. And but I think I was not lucky, but because of the way the world was and she has magic, I was able to lean into her magic, which is to connect with animals. So she uses animals to help like fill out her surroundings. So I think it gave me like, you know, a sort of not an advantage, but like a unique way to kind of get into that headspace because I'm not blind and I can't, you know. Yeah. tend to understand it but so I was able to kind of lean on the magic and, and have, give it that it helped me it helped me try and figure out like how would she see th see things how would she feel things like how would she understand things around her and it, it helped for sure I could lean on you know seeing through or sensing through the animals around her so it helped me for sure but yeah I was nervous to write her you know oh I'm it was perfectly done just like her visceral experience of the world mm -hmm. and how like intuitive she is without yes. being like just blatantly said because yes. my only experience of your trilogy is wings of shadow but when i was introduced to the writing in her sparrow's chapters i was like nikki is like like she, uh, she's like you. she's got this so honed in and yeah like i said she's been a fan favorite so i think i felt like the pressure to finally write her but She's also just one of those characters that just kind of, she just kind of like strolled onto the page fully formed, which sounds so like sort of like oh. one of those nonsense things that writers say, I feel like, but she just, she was a pretty late addition to the Crown of Feathers. Like, I think I had already sold the book and I don't think she was in it yet. Um, wow. Or it was like very, or right before I sold it, like she was quite late. Like, I think I might've added her when I was working with my agent. I can't even fully remember now. Um, 
but she just, she was just fully formed. And I feel like I just knew her intrinsically, even though she was sort of just popped in my head. And so she, I felt like I knew her, but it's one thing I found to like know a character when you're writing about them and another, when you're like in their head, it's like a totally different, you have to really like think double time about like what, you know, how they see the world again, like Sparrow being blind. I had to really like think about that. Like she took, I think a lot of work, like even though she only has a few chapters, not that many, but. Well, it, sh it shows the love and the meticulous care of those chapters. Um, I adore her. My, she's my mother's favorite. <laughs> and her for two books, she's like, there's something about Sparrow. I'm telling you, like, she's like, theorizing. I'm like, mom, get in my head. I know. You're like, yeah. I mean, I feel like I, yeah. Oh, I guess she is special. You're right. You're right. But <laughs> yeah, mom. I'm yeah. honored. I'm so honored to have read for her. It was honestly so great. Um, you were perfect. You really nailed it. Thank you. I can't believe I was like first choice. I really had no idea. Um, so what inspired you to write the book? I don't know if that's like a cliched question. Like, no. have you had it sort of like in your mind for like several years until Crown of Feathers came out? What was that like? I think usually for me, a book is in my head for probably a good year before I could actually write it. Like, so usually I think like when Crown of Feathers, the first book, when it was kind of brewing in my head and as an idea, I was working on something else. So it becomes your like, new shiny idea that's like, you know, untouched by the mess that you make when you actually try to do it. It was kind of just living in my head. And I actually, the book I was working on before Crown of Feathers, I had signed with an agent and we went on submission to publishers with it, but it didn't sell. And then that agent dropped me. So I had sort of a bad experience before Crown of Feathers. And for me, it was like, I wanted to work on something that was like really just for me and I don't know if you've ever read Tamara Pierce. Um, she's kind of one of the originators of like young adult fantasy. And she was a favorite of mine growing up. And she like, I was reading her books and like, it really made me want to tell that kind of story with like, she always had like really strong female leads, lots of animals and um, I don't know, action and cool fantasy worlds, lots of magic. Like she's oh, such a favorite. I so, love that. Like I was like thinking of her and I wanted to do something just for me. And it was very like, I mean, to be honest, at the time, like, I didn't know if it was even going to sell when I was um, trying to get an agent. I had lots of agents say, this is great, but YA fantasy is a hard sell. And that was years ago now, and it's still selling so well. So even people in the industry don't always know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, you know, it felt like it was very much for me, even though I really wanted to sell it and I really wanted to be published. But it was very, like, I don't know, it felt like a very personal project. Um, I loved animal magic type stories. Um me too <laughs> yes like I just I don't know and, and I think at the time Game of Thrones was kind of in its like peak and I remember being like there's gonna be so many dragon books yeah I'm like I want to do something like that but there's gonna be so many dragon books like what else can I do and that's how I landed on phoenixes I'm like they have a lot of the dragon like you can ride them and there's fire and they can fly but it was a little more unique and that's kind of how I, I went in this direction and um, it is kind of unique, like phoenixes aren't really that popular um, in fantasy. And so it was fun to kind of like go in that direction. But I think I was inspired by Game of Thrones too, like a lot of the world and these cool flying animals, how they would change the world if they were, you know, in it. So yeah, well, it's hard. Like there's so many different uh, inspirations, so many things that like, you know, stew in your head for sometimes years until you finally get the book. <laughs> so did, um, did you start? with thinking of the characters or the world first. I love, I'm so partial to phoenixes. So I think it's oh, like so good you get to like represent them. Yeah. <laughs> and and epic story. 
there's yeah. not a lot. So I felt like I felt like when I was building the Phoenix stuff, like I wanted them to be familiar as Phoenixes. So I didn't want to go too like out there, but I was, I felt like I could invent a lot because you know, it's not that popular. I don't think ultimately most people know what they are, but they don't really feature. I don't think primarily in a lot of books. Yeah. Or their mythology um, or. Any yeah. Like they're, yeah. exactly. Um, so where did I start? I feel like most book ideas for me are a convergence of a few things. It's usually like a character idea, a world idea, and like maybe a plot or a magic. Like, so it's never a full book until all these th things like come together. So at the time, like I said, I wanted to write something dragonish but different. And then I remember I love the girl dressed as boy trope, which is features mostly in the first book. Um, the main character, Veronica, has to dress as a boy to like sneak in. I just always love that trope. I don't know why. I just... It was in the Tamara Pierce series. So like maybe that's why I was in my head. There's it. always an element of like, um, like danger when that happens. And yes! then like, you can't wait for them to pull it off. And Yes. <laughs> and there's like some humor to it. There's some girl power to it. Yes. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I just always, I grew up with two older brothers. I don't know if there's something appealing to me about proving you can do what the boys can do. Like, I don't know. It just, yes. that's always resonated for me. So like, I knew I wanted to write that trope. I knew I wanted to write like something dragonish. And I had like an old note in, you know, my story ideas about these two sisters who wind up sort of enemies. And I think suddenly, like when I mashed them all together, I felt like I had a story. Like, I'm like, okay, this is something I could do. And then it all, so it wasn't necessarily one thing. It was kind of like the convergence of those few things. And then I was like, okay, so if this girl is trying to disguise herself to become a Phoenix rider, you know, what is the world like, you know, and it kind of just like snowballs from there, I think. But yeah, I don't, it never usually starts with one thing. I think it's usually a few things. It's a pretty excellent so, premise um, though, well, I gotta say. <laughs> you know, yeah. writing phoenixes, that's pretty epic. It was it's super like, fun to write. It was so fun more empowering as a woman writing a phoenix. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know, like the history of their society is pretty matriarchal, but it was more recently that they had sort of, you know, the women had kind of been like, pushed out of it I guess so it was kind of like a, a reclaiming of like the woman's space in this you know world it was built by women you know so it I don't know I guess it was a little like feminist too just I was like going for that I remember like writing the histories and like making sure there was lots of women in the histories women warriors women heroes like it just that was kind of top of mind for me when I was writing it and again I'm not you know it's just something I guess in me it wasn't necessarily like a a goal it was just something I wanted it happened. to happen so yeah what's something. really interesting is sometimes when I read a really really excellent book and I'm not pumping your tires but sometimes <laughs> I go like wait did this really happen <laughs> and then I'll start like googling things and being like is this place real did this person <laughs> exist <laughs> and now that I have you here I want to know how much of this was you ground zero entirely just genius <laughs> <laughs> well I won't claim I won't like claim that term but I mean most of it is... I'll just call it I, it's, I, okay. it's me oh, endowing fine. you with these loving words <laughs> I mean all of it was invented really none of it was deliberately based on anything amazing um, I think when I think of my most obvious inspirations like I mentioned um Game of Thrones like I think Game of Thrones, I don't know if you watched the show or read the book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, old Valyria, you know, the old dragon riders, like that, you know, there's a there's a long-lost sort of Phoenix Rider civilization. And there's definitely parallels there. Like, I think I was really inspired by that. Um, but, you know, it was never 
Like it wasn't like, I'm doing my version of this. It was just like, oh, I love that. And I wanted to write something like it. Um, but it wasn't based on anything really. Um, just whatever mishmash of stuff is in my head. <laughs> it was mostly <laughs> invented. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's funny years later, like you'll const I'll come up against things. I'm like, oh, that totally inspired this. And I forgot, like, you know, you read things, you watch things and they just kind of become part of the like soup of your brain. And then it comes out later and it's kind of like, sometimes it's a mystery right like even to you like you don't exactly know where you got the idea from but then eventually you go oh I saw that movie and that totally like makes sense that I'd go and write this after that like <laughs> a reason, you know but it's like you can't actually draw the lines always yourself so it wasn't deliberately trying to mimic anything just this is your first trilogy this is the first yes. time you've ever written one yes ambitious it is super ambitious. <laughs> oh my god, it's so long. There's probably like five or six books worth of uh, page count in these three books wow. for sure. They're very long. So when did you start? Um, oh, that's a good question. So I started, let me think, I think in 2016, I started. Um, I had just, like I said, I had signed with an agent with a different book. She had dropped me, the book hadn't sold, and I was like, I'm not working on that book anymore. So I wanted to do something new. So I think it was like early in 2016, I started writing it and I was like balls to the wall. Like I was really <laughs> determined. Like I wrote it as fast as I could. I pushed really hard on it. I had actually like quit my job. So I was unemployed living in my mom's basement. Super glamorous. Um, but I was like, I am writing this book. Like I am giving all I have. So I think it took me like, I think eight months roughly from when I started it to when I was sending it out to agents. Um, and it was much shorter then. like it was, um, we added like 60,000 words with my editor when we were working together. So it was much shorter then. So it was a shorter book and I did lots of revisions with my editor. So it definitely wasn't like a finished product, but I, you know, it was the best I could do on my own. And, um, so I did it in like, I think it was around eight months, which is pretty fast. I think like for the whole, you know, I, I drafted it, I reread it, I revised it as best I could. And I was getting, you know, sending it out to agents. Um, it's like a pretty then, amazing origin story. You're just like, bam, eight months, even before a baby is made. Like, <laughs> no, it takes you eight months. It takes nine months to make a baby. It takes eight months to make a book. <laughs> Take well, note of funny. that, people. <laughs> that's just me on my own. Then I signed with an agent. We worked on it for a couple months. Yeah. And then I sold it to my editor and we worked on it for a good six plus months. So, you know, the entire accumulation is definitely closer to like a year and a half. At and least. that was just Crown of Feathers. Right. Yes. Wow. And then, you know, that's, and that's a whole different experience. Cause then once you've sold it, your second book, your sequel or whatever is coming out, like you have a, you have a schedule, right? Like when you're mm. just writing on your own, you do the best you can on your own, but suddenly you're like, Oh, I have deadlines. People are waiting for this. Wow. So Heart of Flames was really hard to write. It was, it's the longest of the three. It's the second one. And um, I don't think how long that one took. That one took me a while. I had to rewrite a lot of it. Oh my God. That was, uh, was it difficult because tell me why. Oh, well, <laughs> where do we begin? <laughs> How do I? <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was difficult. It was my first ever sequel, right? I had never written a sequel before. Usually when, before you're published, you're just kind of writing first books, first books, first books, like hoping for someone to want to publish you. So it was my first sequel, first time writing on real deadlines, not just self-imposed ones. Um, also, like I said, we added so much, like Crown of Feathers is 155,000 words. Um, most young adult novels are around maybe a hundred thousand, even less, eighty thousand. Like it's a quite a long book. Wow. So then by putting Double. all that detail in, you're kind of 
you're stuck at that level of detail, right? So then you come to the sequel and you've got it. There's more, more of the world to see, more characters to meet. So it just gets, gets longer, gets thicker. Um, and then, like I said, I rewrote like half of it just because I had made some mistakes in my plotting, which is not oh, my we So I rewrote a bunch of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> plotting, I can tell you so much about plotting because I've studied it so much because I can't do it naturally. Like I've, I've studied it so much. Plotting is so hard for me. Um, so I had like made some mistakes in the plot. So I had to rewrite like half the book. So, but it's still, it was so, it was so long. Like it's like 200,000 words. Um, Crown of Feathers, like 155. Wings of Shadow was 200,000. I think, uh, or sorry, yeah, Heart of Flames was 200,000. I think Wings of Shadow was like 180,000. Mm-hmm. So it's a little shorter again, but they're all very long. Yeah. Like I said, mo- most YA books can be 80,000, maybe 100,000. So they're, they're, they're chunkers. Yeah, um, it appeal. I guess it just appeals beyond the, the YA genre, of course. I mean, I think it, it does, genre, but, sure. you know. And I think people, there's certain like genres where it's acceptable. And I think epic fantasy, you know, you're building a whole world. So they kind of, you know, they're more lenient with you having more page count to do that. It's multiple point of view, which definitely contributed to the, to the length. Cause you know, yeah. each character needs their own journey and their own story. I added in, in the sequel, I added in two, yeah, two point of views. So Crown of Feathers had three, Wings of Shadow had five and, or Heart Flames had five, Wings of Shadow had six. I want to say so every time you add a point of view you're kind of adding a big chunk of you know page count and I think it's so funny and fascinating that you're like I can't plot meanwhile (laughs) your books are like rot with many plots (laughs) well that's a funny thing I'm not good at it so then I think I overplot so there's like a million things happening so I'm afraid that there's like so I'm like there's so much (laughs) happening here like why did I do this to myself So I, I I don't know why, but I'm like imagining you in like a room and you just have like this huge whiteboard and it's just like post-its of plots and lines and like string, like you're like you're solving a murder or something. Yes. Is, what is it like when you're trying to plot outside of your head? Cause like- I'm like that, I'm like that gif of Charlie Day from Pacific Rim when he's- Doing the math. <laughs> I think it's Pacific Rim is from, anyway. Um, that's what my, like I do most on the computer, but that's like, I remember sharing once a screenshot of my desktop and there's like 45 tabs tabs open 10 different word document like I'm like a disaster that's me on like, a regular day <laughs> oh god I'm like I don't know why it makes sense to me like <laughs> leave me alone um yeah I think I just the things that come naturally to me are probably like world I just think it's fun I like to build worlds like that's the fun part for me and character you know that's I think a lot of us write for character and then plots like oh like my first ever novel I wrote had no plot I remember it was like nothing happening until the last like 20% and I was like oh uh, here's a bad guy let's fight him like I had no <laughs> idea how to do it and then progressively book by book I'm like trying really hard to figure out how to plot so I'm not someone who would like I'm not a plot driven reader but then when you read a book with a without a plot you notice because you're kind of bored like it's one of those like invisible things that is so important but it's not a thread <laughs> yeah it's the whole it's like the skeleton it's the whole structure and if it's not there you notice but if it's there and it's done well you almost don't realize because you're just enjoying the characters you're enjoying like you don't notice it but so it's something I was like behind the curve on I guess um so it's such a humble perspective would you say <laughs> your your strengths lie in creating the characters and 
getting in their heads? Or... Yeah, I guess so. Even that is something I've had to learn a lot about. Um, I mean, all of it. I keep saying about and I keep thinking about how I'm Canadian and I'm saying it wrong. We're so. both Canadian. <laughs> just, just come over and visit me and then we'll both start sounding like each other. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'll sound more American. That would be nice. No, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, everything. Like, I think I've learned so much. Every book, every time. Like, there's so much to learn. Even the stuff you think you're good at. Like, you have to learn more like your editor is really great for that like character is something I think that like I'm not someone who does like character worksheets and like questionnaire like that never I just it's like once I know them it's a click then I just know them yes but then when you actually write a book like your editor is like okay you need some development you need an arc so I've learned a lot about character even though it's something I would have thought I did sort of naturally um world building is something I said I love to do but the hard part isn't inventing the world. I have dozens of documents of all sorts of crap that never made it in the books, backstories, history, like so much stuff. But getting it into the narrative where it's not clunky and it's not like, you know, boring is the challenge. And that's something I'm still struggling with. Like, I know all the answers to all this crap, but if you just throw it all out there on the page, it's like very boring for people. Like very few people are actually interested in all your uh, nonsense. Maybe. So like, then I have to learn how to refine it. So even the things I think I'm good at, like I'm constantly trying to do better. But that is yeah. the formula to success. Yes. That constant improvement. Yeah, I think it's good to not be too rigid. It's good to try. I think every book is, like I said, like writing my first sequel was a new challenge. Writing, like finishing my first series was a whole new challenge. Like, you know, wrapping everything up and making sure, you know, like there's always a new challenge. And now I'm writing like new books and like every book is a little different. Every time you think you know what you're doing, you write something new and you're like, wait, this doesn't work here. So you're always a student. And I think you know, we have our things we like the best or the things that may become easier to us. But if you're not trying to get better at all of it, then you're, I think, I don't know, I can't even imagine. I, I think I would be Stagnant. in trouble. Yeah. yeah. And I just don't think I'd be able to do it. Like I keep coming up against walls where the things I used to do don't work. So you have to adapt or you're stuck, I think. So I love that. I think that <laughs> that like problem solving mentality is like so important especially when it comes to writing books in in the fantasy realm mm -hmm. because things are going to happen that you don't expect and now your characters have to figure it out and if they don't figure it out the book is over yes <laughs> and you know you can't like readers are savvy you know if you try to force your character to do something that doesn't make sense people will be mad at you like, people yeah. like, no, that doesn't work you know we've all yeah. seen that on like we talk about Game of Thrones or, you know, like certain shows, certain, like when you try we and get invested. Things. Yeah, we yes. get invested. People know your care. Like they'll, they, they take what you've given. And so they know them. I think readers know more than I do sometimes. Like they'll remind me of stuff or they, you know, they anticipate things like they're very smart. So they can, you know, spot if you're kind of cutting a corner or being lazy or, you know, trying the easy way out, like they'll know and they'll, <laughs> <laughs> they'll notice. They'll tell you about it. So from, this first writing your first trilogy and then suddenly like the fandom was that like sudden was it like what I feel like that's like a brand new experience I don't even know what that's what that could it's be like weird it's super weird <laughs> one of the weirdest things I realized early on um was now social media people will message me in progress so I'll get reactions from people while they're reading so there's, you know, I don't want to spoil, but there's like a character death fairly early in Crown of Feathers. And this character winds up not being dead. 
but people were messaging me early and going, Oh my God, how could you do that? And they're, they're, they want to put the book down. They want to quit. And I'm like, I think you should keep reading. Like, <laughs> like trying not to like, Ruin I it. think you should give it a chance. It was just weird to have. And again, like, you know, like things will happen early in the book and I'm like, Oh, I put that character through hell, but everything's okay at the end. But people are talking to me in progress and they don't know it's going to be okay so they're very mad at me early on like that was that was I was like oh I did not think of that like I hadn't really anticipated you know I never had readers like that before really so that was fun <laughs> that so was would cool. you keep in touch sort of like or, or you would you would you respond would it be like a mass tweet like everyone it's fine <laughs> well I don't really tweet this is mostly mostly Instagram for me and this right. is usually just people like direct messaging me or something so I usually try to reply to say like oh like I hope you keep reading or something you know <laughs> I don't want to spoil them um and I try to engage as much as I can um I'm not you know some people are so famous I came to Matt and must be inundated with messages I'm I'm still at the manageable place where I can usually respond or at least give like a little like or something but you know I usually I, I like to let readers have their space like I don't like to be overly involved in the fandom I just feels um I don't know wrong like it's not my you're allowed to think what you think and you know like people have their theories and like I don't like to get involved in that it just feels sort of like and you're I think you are totally free to interpret things however you want right like yeah. people will say things to me they think so and so is this or that and I'm like hey sure that's possible like you know if that's what you think for sure like I don't think it's um I think like once you're done writing it it belongs to the readers and it feels like it's not really mine um but I did I actually did like a street team for the launch of the second book which was just like a little Facebook group where people applied and we got to like do games and to help promote the book so I, I made some like stronger relationships with some of the readers through that um, so that was fun just to have, it was easier to have a connection with them. It's hard, like on the public social media to always like keep track of people who message you or whatever. So that was a little more intimate and that was pretty fun. Um, but it's a lot of work too. So that was, you know, got to be yeah. hard, but that was, I think my best way to engage with fans. Like if you're really into the books, like let's, let's meet here and I can share, you know, news with you, share early cover stuff with you. Like, and they, you know, they seem to enjoy that. So that was, I think the best way. Isn't it so funny how like the 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 career the idea of being an author is beyond just writing oh yes right so it's, much yeah it's like oh, that was and again, like fantasy so career like, yeah I mean and like when I think of you know early on I was very lucky early on in my before Crown Feathers even came out I got to do an event with Cassandra Clare who was like mega time in YA um Shadowhunters book she's had movies tv shows like she's a superstar so I did an event with her and that was like a real like shock. I'm like these, like, these fans are nuts, like in the best way. Like they worship her and they're so excited. And there was hundreds of people there. I was like, oh my God. So part of me was like, I don't ever want to be that famous. Like that's like terrifying, but she was, she's so good with like, she was so good at it. I guess she's a pro now. She's been popular like this for at least 10 years. So she's an expert, but like, wow like all the events all the interviews like all the media like that really is a whole job separate from trying to write these books and I'm just like amazed at some of these authors that they still manage to put out books like <laughs> just all the you know the events they go to and like I said just the the media and engaging on social media like there's so much to do if you're in that like popular echelon I'm like oh my god juggling both the writing and the yeah, and like the, the public world Honestly, the there's a lot of fun to be had, but I'm never happier than when I'm alone in my office in the dark writing books. Like that's what I'm here for. So I that is like my happy place. So I would be, I think, unhappy if I was super famous. I'm like, oh, leave me alone. I just want to write. Like I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not. 
celebrity like please don't make me <laughs> funny. i'm the same way it's like i both like enjoy my alone time but also thrive on like the connection of others but if it's like several i i have a history of like i would throw parties when i was in university i went to the university of toronto and i throw parties wow <laughs> it's for my grad school oh cool but still yeah um and i would have the tendency to like disappear into a room by myself for several hours and I never yeah. realized it was like social anxiety <laughs> I, like, I know we didn't have the words for that I feel like a few years ago you're like what's wrong with me I'm weird I know exactly like it's just okay and better in here until I'm ready <laughs> yeah like I can I can get up there around people but then I crash super hard after yeah, and, and I need that time to like I like I said I go days where I'm like just you know nothing on social media nothing because I need to like cut off and just be alone and yeah it's hard mm -hmm. to create when you're uh, well for me if I'm busy chatting and emailing and doing all that stuff it's hard for me to get that like focus I need so yeah it's kind of like cultivating your own thoughts with just you yeah and it's I think a big part of the learning curve when you first start out because you don't really know how to because you have to write on schedule and that's new and you have to like you have to get it done whereas when you're maybe dreaming of being a writer you write when you feel like it when you feel inspired <laughs> but you know once you do it, when someone's paying you and there's like a check coming and there's a deadline, like you have to do it no matter how you feel. So you have to be able to, like you said, cultivate that headspace. You have to know the tricks. You have to know what you need to get there. Or, you know, it's just like a, such a struggle and it can be such a struggle sometimes. But that's like, I think one of the biggest learning curves, is like how to make yourself able to do it day after day after day. Yeah, because <laughs> it's it's work. It's work. Yeah, it, it has to be. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You have to treat it that way if you're going to hit deadline. And, you know, some people still like, will binge right you know like they wait till the end of the deadline and they go to town like day and night for day you know like some people still have to kind of like push themselves to weird extremes to get there I'm pretty regimented like I write every day and that works for me but everyone has like you have to know your tricks you have to know what you can get done and, and it's yeah so I have a question. I do follow you on Instagram and it seems like boring for you. I don't post very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the times that you do, you're always digesting new books, which I love. And now that you're sort of on the other side of the reading, it, has that changed the experience of when of, of the actual consumption of literature yes. for you? Yeah, Badly. it makes it harder, honestly. Um, and it didn't used to be that way for me, but I think now that the books you read they're your contemporaries they're your friends they're so like it does sort of change a relationship sometimes um unfortunately there's a lot of comparison i think that you can do um which can be detrimental right you read an amazing book and you're like why am i even bothering to do this because like, <laughs> it's I, so good <laughs> why? why do i even try like that, that can happen <laughs> this is not good for anybody but i find just i think the hardest thing is you're spending so much of your time already reading, writing, like you're tired. Like it's hard to get the motivation to stick your head in another page with more words, which is audiobooks are like one of my favorite things ever. And they're such a great, like they saved my reading since I've been, you know, professionally published because it allows me to read without having to sit again. Like you sit all day writing, you sit all day with like my eyes are tired and it allows me to read while like on a nice walk or like I'll read, lie in bed and listen or like even doing the dishes or I, when I used to commute for work like I used to spend hour I, I read the whole Game of Thrones series commuting from work and that was a huge like hack for me to still read when I'm like so busy with deadlines and so bogged down with my own words it's like a fresh way to read books and that's been like huge for me so 
<laughs> loved audiobooks. Oh. I'm presented with the, sort of the same problem sometimes when I'm like, it's all it's all the screen, right? I'm always like using my eyeballs, mm. and sometimes I'll I'll get a new book and I'll be like, oh, I ha I want to read through it first, but I don't want to read it twice you know like not read it twice but like have, i want to digest it as quickly as possible before i can like so that like when i pr perform it it's fresh and i'm like i wish someone would just read it to me so yeah. i can read it. <laughs> so I it is, it's super nice to have someone read to you like i try to explain to people i'm like it's like you read again like someone's reading the story to you it's so nice but yeah that's tricky for you because that's your job <laughs> i'm like oh i have to read it to and myself <laughs> i'm the one that does this <laughs> But it is, it's such a nice experience. Like I've, I'm a big rereader too, which I know not all people are, but it's so fun to have read a book physically and then to read the audio book or vice versa. Like it's, it's a different experience and like a great narrator can bring so much to a character. And, you know, similarly, like just seeing the words visually can be a different experience. Like it's, I just, I adore audiobooks. It's such a, it was such a great discovery for me to get into audiobooks. Yeah. It's so fun when I tell people I'm a narrator, they go, I love Audible. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's I... pretty popular now. Like it's really, I think it's really boomed in recent years, audiobooks. I don't so, know if that's something you've noticed like for work and stuff, but. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. my first experience was, you know, the books on tape. I had a Winnie the Pooh. Nice. <laughs> on tape as a child and I only realized like maybe just you know like a few days into like doing this I was like wait this is a book on tape I am reading <laughs> books on tape <laughs> without the tape what world is this <laughs> that's so true we think of it so differently now I know it's just, like, just you know, like they don't even sell physical copies I don't think of my audiobooks like it's all digital right but some people still get like CD CDs discs, but I think that's pretty much like on play out but yeah I mean I feel like there's still like a there's definitely um a demographic that still partakes in the the CD purchases. I think this. I think libraries, libraries yes. will them out. I think yeah, yes. for older people and kids. I guess maybe kids. Yeah, all the kids or teachers it. maybe. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe I don't classrooms. Know. Yeah, I wonder. CD world. Maybe, See, maybe like my nieces and nephews. They are like totally fine with like digital anything. They don't need. They don't need that crap. Like, <laughs> have you ever seen? There's a meme, and someone's got like a hard, like one of the floppy disks. And then this child was like, oh, you have the save icon in real life. And I was like, no, it's, it's a... <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. That's amazing. Oh, that's so true. Um, so speaking of time, um, okay, so Wings of Shadow has, I'm going to name some of the characters. We've mm -hmm. got Veronica, we've got Val, we've got Tristan, Sev, Cade. Elliot and Sparrow. Mm -hmm. And do you imagine any of your characters like in the future? Mm. I've been asked that. You know, really? By fans, by fans, yes. Um, but I like part of the way I ended the story is I like the feeling that like I don't like endings that are too final. Like, I like the feeling that the adventure will continue. Um, like when I think of just off the top of my head, like Lord of the Rings has like a real final ending, right? The adventure's over, we're back home, like regular life. I find that sad. <laughs> I like, like, you know, not to whatever, like the Harry Potter ending, I remember really upset me because it was like 19 years later, I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> what happened in between? <laughs> like, but all, he skipped all the good, you know, so. 
<laughs> I knew I wanted something that kind of hinted at where characters would go, but left it open, but let you know that they were all still in the middle of everything, I guess. Like I didn't want things to be too final. So even now I hesitate to say where I think they will go. I just, I've, I've, there's like one thing I got into detail with, but I don't think I can, it's too much with like one of the characters that died and I just okay. got into this whole thing. I'm like, that's probably not, like the, probably not the, yeah, I was like, this is maybe not the place for that. But I kind of, you know, Veronica is kind of on the cusp of coming queen and, you know, she's still with Tristan. Will they, you know, we king and queen, I don't know, like probably, you know, eventually, right? They're still young. Like I like the idea that, yeah, probably but not yet they're still gonna they're still figuring things out out. yeah Yeah. Uh, and like you know seven kate are just becoming phoenix riders they're training sparrow like they're kind of you know they're training to become phoenix riders so you assume they'll finish their training they'll go out in the world like i think it's open but you kind of have a sense of where they'll go um but i guess i don't like to give like too concrete an answer because i don't really know even like i think if i actually sat down to write it who knows like I'm an outliner, but things happen that surprise you all the time. And I wouldn't want to like put things in stone because who knows, like, I don't know, maybe I'll feel differently in a few years or, you know, like, <laughs> oh, I like to leave it. So to answer your question, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to fantasize about the idea of the answer. <laughs> but I, and I like to let readers do that. I think there's something fun for the reader to kind of imagine where they'll end up. And I don't want to deprive them of that. I mean, hence the fantasy genre. Yeah, like, you know, and, and readers, like I said, they have their strong theories and their, you know, their, their head, head cannons, they call them, like what they imagine will happen. And I like to, like, I think it's totally legit and they should. And that's part of the fun. So. so do you think you'll continue to write fantasy? Is this like your place? Yes. Yes. Each reality. Uh. Um, <laughs> Well, I do have, like, I have under contract um, another YA fantasy coming next summer, um, and it's called Bonesmith, and it's a whole different world, and it's still YA fantasy, but, you know, um, dealing with, like, bone magic and ghosts and stuff, so it's different, but it's definitely still, yeah, like, still, I'm always gonna love, you know, it's still epic, like, second world fantasy, whole new world, whole new beyond the grave um, yes it's wow. it's pretty cool it's been pretty fun to like research into that and so that, i'm like just finishing that up right now congratulations so, looking thank forward you. to it yeah thank you and then i'm doing a middle grade book which is going to come out um in 2024 and it's about a magic school so it's kind of like contemporary fantasy um but it's it's about it's called the last hope school for magical delinquents so it's a school for kids who get expelled out of like regular magic school because they've got some <laughs> crazy magic and it's been so like it's been such a treat and it's a little you know a little different than my young adult fantasy which is maybe a little darker and it's like epic fantasy this is you know our world but slightly different and it's just been I don't know it's been such a fun thing to switch between the two that's why I have so many deadlines this summer <laughs> I, have I, growing, I so. can feel like the urgency pulsing through you as you yes. have to talk about these <laughs> you're like uh I feel that I'm, I'm excited for the um what's it called the you just mentioned it the last hope school for magical delinquents because I feel like the characters in that are just going to be so colorful oh it's are, so fun to write yeah I'm, I'm, I'm like humor forward you know which is like 
I, I'll put a little humor in, but this has been like really like looking for the humor and everything. It's been so fun to write and it's much shorter than my other books. So that's been fun, but yeah, it's been such a treat and just, you know, different enough to feel like a break from my other stuff, um, which is still, you know, kind of dark and, you know, more mature, I guess, compared to the kids middle grade book. But yeah, so I do have more fantasy coming. I'll always write fantasy. I don't think I could ever write just a straight, like, temporary book I don't know what I would do I don't know how, like, how I would get that kind of idea I'm gonna, <laughs> like, make, always, like, I'm gonna make you a t-shirt <laughs> I'm gonna make you a t-shirt that says I hate reality and then it'll say your name on the back <laughs> honestly the, the number one reason why I read and write is for escapism Makes that's sense. when I'm here I want out <laughs> I want out of this place I want something better <laughs> I mean with the state of the world you know it just seems right like, it's how I survive gotta keep reading <laughs> uh, you know like I can handle reality like on tv shows and movies but like when I'm reading I just want to get out I just want to go somewhere new so 100% uh always something fantastical like maybe historical ish or maybe sci-fi ish but it'll always be like not quite world. <laughs> yeah yeah um do you have any particular favorite moments in any of your books or maybe in wings of shadow Ooh. that we could discuss or yeah, lines? I mean, wings of shadow it's you know that's the big finale um i'm really proud of and it made me cry though um the way things ended with veronica and her sister val like you know the, when they come to a head their big battle all their stuff like i was really happy with where I got with that it was hard. It made me cry, which is unusual for me. I don't usually cry, but you know, I feel like I hit the notes I wanted to hit, you know, and I was happy with how that went. Um, I mean, all the climactic, like uh, Seven Cades storyline, their climactic moments. Like I was really, that was a scene that was in my head for years. And I was, you know, to finally get to write, it was very cool. Um, and I'm pretty happy with, you know, the kind of last few chapters, like the ending, like I, like I said, I tried my best to leave it sort of resolved, but still feeling like we're in the middle of the fun. It's not ending. It's not done. Like I liked the note I hit there. So yeah, I mean, it's hard to peg. Like there's all sorts, you know, the, the moments that readers get mad at you for are sometimes the best ones because it just, you get a reaction out of people. That means they care. So that's, you know, early in Crown of Feathers is, you know, a scene that a lot of people hated me for, but it's, it's the scene that made my editor buy the book, she said. So it's like, <laughs> sometimes you got to go there, like, to get people to feel something. So I definitely, I don't know, there's a lot of favorites, but I'm really happy with how everything ended. And it was very hard. The third book is the hardest thing I've ever done. It was so hard. Wow. Because um, it was just so many things to to weave together you know, and yeah the final battle was like half of the book like it was hundreds of pages of like a fight scene I was like how do I keep this going <laughs> why did I do this to myself <laughs> and oh, then you're man. done and you're like okay I did it <laughs> I did it I do, you have, do you ever have moments when you're writing like say like there's a there's like conflict or something and then you finally like I don't know if you're solving as you go along or like you know how it's gonna happen and then you finally get it and you kind of like yeah like you're celebrating oh. it <laughs> you're like, I, all the, I all the time like all the time <laughs> even when I think I've planned it out something will happen I'm like no that doesn't work there's all you're always problem solving always and sometimes it takes like months sometimes it takes drafts and you're still not getting it the way you wanted to and then you have that moment and you're like oh, thank you like thank you so I heard that was the entire third book over and over every draft I'm like no it's not right it's not right like this doesn't make sense this isn't working over and over you're trying to like 
And it's hard because a lot of times it's sort of like epiphanies and you can't really force epiphanies. Like they have to just kind of happen. And again, when you're on deadline, when you're on a schedule, there's not a lot of breathing room to be like, I'm just going to put this aside for a few weeks. Like that's just impossible. Like I was working on it constantly and I just couldn't seem to get it there. And, you know, it came out, I took an extra four months or something on that book. So I just like, there's so much to do. And I just kept like, I did like three or four drafts of it. Like it took me a long time to get, get there where I was happy. Um, so do you bounce, only... Sorry, do you bounce things off with your editor, with people in your house? Are you like I'm sort pretty, of a self? A I'm pretty like sol I'm pretty solitary in my mm. writing. I tried to do those things, but I find sometimes like it is really great to talk to people, just even just to explain the problem to someone. Sometimes is enough to make you go, oh, like just to verbalize it. Sometimes, and I've definitely done that with like fellow writer friends, but I generally work a lot alone. I think early on in my career, I would involve people early, but I found there was like that too many cooks in the kitchen thing happening where other people's ideas would like influence my own. I'd like, wait, like, and I would lose sight of what I was trying to do. So I find I have to wait quite a while until I'm ready to invite people in where I really know what I am trying to do before I can let someone else tell me what they think I should do. Cause I think I was too easily influenced like early on. And it, I was like, like my first book that I've mentioned that I got an agent, but it didn't sell. That book changed so many times because I was letting, like I was losing sight of what I was trying to do. So I think I've sort of learned from that and I have to be careful and I play it pretty close to the vest and I don't share a lot. And I don't have, like, I don't have um, critique partners really. I, I don't really even have beta readers. Like I sort of just do it by myself because I wanted to be able to do it by myself. I think like I learned how to self edit really rigidly. I like push myself. I'm like, I'm going to do this. Like I can figure it out. So it's usually mostly me. Um, and like I said, sometimes I'll, I'll message like a fellow writer, like, does this make sense? Like, or, you know, I'll, I'll ask some people some things, but generally it's by myself. Yeah. I mean, that's really impressive, but also because there's so, there's so in depth, <laughs> you know, well, it's hard to then you have to explain yeah. everything. Yeah. Like, okay. This happens. And then this happens, but do you think this should happen? Because I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, and, <laughs> and then it's just, it's like a waste of time. <laughs> like, right. You, just, and, you, know, you know, it best. <laughs> Right. And I think some people will lean heavily on their editors for that. And I'm sure like my editor is amazing. I'm sure I could, but like I said, I think I get to like their ideas sort of mess with my head a little. Like, I don't know. It's hard to explain. It's just a weird, I get I it. I have to, yeah, I totally get strange. it. Someone has to know the, the work as well as you do in order right. for you to get to the, the, the goal of which you're yes. trying to solve. Um, and like you said, sometimes it's hard to even like explain, explain. it. Like, I'm not really sure what I'm trying to do here. Yeah. And I'm like, sometimes I just have to let it. I'm the exact same way. I don't like yeah. letting people in too soon because then it's like, now you're not focused on the finished product because it's not a finished product. It's a work in progress, but then you have to right. explain that. And then like, and then you start getting like self-conscious or like confused. Yes. And and... It can really take the wind out of your sails, I think, if someone yeah. has like, too critical too early on yeah. it can really kind of damage the experience for you I, again I've had that happen to me too where yeah. you know I had someone read it early I'm like oh man like it just kind of this I'm pretty self-motivated like I know some people need the push like okay someone's reading that some people need the push I'm very critical <laughs> I'm more than capable of seeing all the problems <laughs> like I get every time I hand in a draft to my editor I'm like okay I know this 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 and this is still wrong and like <laughs> like you know I'm very like some people I think have a hard time seeing their own work that way I don't I can see all the problems <laughs> so you know it, it works for me for now but yeah you know, I mean, like with a premature opinion it's like it's hard to 
to deal. So I totally yeah, I get it. It can really hurt your confidence. It can change, like I said, your perspective on your own story. And because so much of, I think, creativity in general, like it's all like uh, opinion based, like just because they think it should be that way doesn't mean it's the right way. Yes. And then, you know, so it's like, I want to make sure I'm doing what I want to do first and foremost. And then we can kind of step back and you know, trying to smooth things out. But if someone gets in on the creative stage and then I'm like, wait, I just changed this into something I don't even want to write just because they said I should, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a weird game to play. Oh yeah. I think it applies to like, because I also do music. And so I remember Mm -hmm. trying to like play songs for people and like in search of validation Mm -hmm. and same thing with like other things that I do. And I feel like the same thing goes for writing. Mm -hmm. If you're seeking some sort of like, is, is what I'm doing right? Or does it sound right? And then I've noticed that like this person's opinion would be different. And then this person yeah. would conflict with that person's opinion, which I thought was right or true. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? It's it really goes. It really just has to go back to yourself and where you think is right for you and what's comfortable yeah. for you. And that's I think that's how you got you got to get you got to block out all the voices and just get to the finish right. line. I think, I think you're right. Looking at some people, I think early on, and it's totally valid. Like you're looking for validation. Like yes. that's the whole point of getting an agent. The whole point, like you want someone to tell you you're good, and like that's totally legit. But I think you do have to get to the point where you trust yourself. Yes. And your own instincts, because if you don't, you'll always be kind of floundering. Like I think you have to get to that place, and it took it took me a while for sure. It's just funny you mentioned like different opinions. I had this like really clear moment when I was um, querying, so looking for an agent for my previous book, I remember in the same day, I remember getting an email from an agent who told me reading my book was tedious. And I was like, oh, like it was like a bullet to the chest. And I remember being like, I guess I suck. I guess I need to quit. Like I was like devastated. And then literally two hours later, someone emailed offering to have a phone call to represent the book. So I was like, that is like within a single day, two people can have complete polar opposite reactions to the same thing. And it was a real light bulb moment where I was like, this is all just their opinion. Like it's just completely subjective. Like, of course there's things that can be errors, but generally like, it's just about your artistic whatever. And I was like, okay, like that really made it clear for me. Like just because someone hates it doesn't mean it's bad. Like it was very, and just because someone loves it doesn't mean that you're satisfied with it or whatever. Right. Like there's, I don't know. That was like a real, I was like, oh my God, like this is completely like, within two hours is very lucky at least it's a crazy day it's like, we... <laughs> you go from like, questioning your life to like being like oh i'm okay i'm on top of the mountain again <laughs> i literally like i got that horrible email calling it tedious which i'll never forget that word i was like tedious i like call my boyfriend and i'm like devastated right and then like three hours later i call him again i'm like oh my god <laughs> like whiplash from that day yeah is that the agent you ended up sticking with no it wasn't actually it was the first I ended up with like three offers for that so just that was the first offer Um, started got the ball rolling yeah and it's uh you know I guess I didn't end up with that and the agent I eventually signed with we didn't stay together either so you know it was it's a it's a it's a process very very (laughs) rare it's very rare I don't know if this is saying you have an agent I assume for like it's very rare in writing for someone to be with the same agent their whole career like extremely rare like most people will change agents multiple times in their career so like I think people get really hung up on the idea of picking this like perfect agent but I think it's like you do your best and sometimes it doesn't work and you move on like you can't get too caught up in that because it yeah. you know it's really it's very rare like I said to stick with one your whole career 
That's good to know. I mean, I don't know what it's like on the on the author side to find an agent for writing, but it's sort of the same in the acting world. I don't have an agent for um, audiobooks. I've been very lucky to mm. to have my voice sound like the the YA genre. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you really do have. It's like youthful, but it has like some kind of like I said, grit. There's like something there. It's not quite. <laughs> like, it's not just sweet. There's like I don't know. It's good. It's perfect. For that. Yay. Yeah. It's in a lot of it's, you know, it's kind of like the what we were talking about, two different opinions. Some people go like, stick with your agent. Like it's a long term journey and you guys got to figure each other out. And then other people are like, I just switched mine like every five months or something every two years. And I'm like, I think I don't I mean, know. Yeah, you have to. I mean, I'm sure it's wonderful to be with one agent, uh, you know, if, you, if it works that way. But I've just heard so many stories of things not working out or like I was dropped by my first agent like that wasn't my choice and the market happened, changes you know? like the market changes and the industry sure, changes sure. I think in both worlds and it's like okay well let's 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 keep problem solving <laughs> yeah and just you know especially I think for writing like each book depending on what kind of career you have you might really you might switch genres and then your current agent doesn't really do that or you know like you just kind of have it, it can it could be as simple as that. Sometimes like my first agent was changing her job and like her new title, like just didn't really, she just didn't really have the time. I was a new client, whatever, right? Like it wasn't really, it just is what it is. Um, it hurts, of course. It was like, oh my God, I have to start over. Like it's yeah, that's what it feels like. But, you know, it's just like, what do you do? Like that shit, like I said, it's so many people have way worse stories than me. And, you know, you have to just kind of, this part of the business for sure. Yeah. Same with editors, you know, like you sign with an editor, but sometimes they leave or, you know, I like think you can't, you know, yeah. people, part of it is. Exactly. Keep on, keep on. <laughs> ebbing and flowing. Just got to go. With yeah, the flow. You, can't up. you can't control it. A lot of times, yeah. Right? So yeah. You feel crazy over it, but. So when you were younger, did you know you want, wanted to be a writer? No, I, I was like a really late bloomer I like didn't read at all until I was like 17 like I mean I could read but I didn't read books for fun I didn't read at all um I was always a good writer interestingly like I was good at grammar and stuff like I always did well in English class but I never read for fun ever I didn't even read the books I was supposed to read for class I like watched the movie you know like I was totally <laughs> bad like student that way and I just didn't I just wasn't a, a reader but I was always very imaginative like for me I was a visual artist like that's what I initially went to school for um so I was a drawer and a painter and I was creative. And I remember, I remember wanting to play make-believe when I was too old to play make-believe. And that was clearly like the segue into world building and create and like, you know, inventing and writing, but I wasn't a reader. So I never really like connected those dots. And then I started um, reading, like I said, when I was like 17, like, so teen books was kind of where I started my reading journey. I think that's why I wanted to write them. Um, so I had like a real learning curve. Like I was not someone who was, you know, knows in a book their whole childhood. That wasn't me at all. So, um, but I, you know, within, I remember reading, gobbling up fantasy books, you know, 17, like around that time or the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out at that time. And I was very like, oh yeah, I love this nerdy crap. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want to do this. But I knew like I had, a, I knew I had like a long way to go to like read more and catch up, but so it was kind of a late teen ambition. Like once I started reading, I was like, oh, I'd like to try this. And then it just became like a stronger thing I wanted to do. Um, but I knew it was a hard business. So I was like, okay, I'm going to like, I wanted to be a professor of art history. That's what I thought I was going to do. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll write books sort of like on the side when I'm ready. Um, but then it just, you know, I hated my master's. <laughs> so I get my PhD. I was like, no, thank you. And I ended up pivoting and I became a graphic designer, which was super fun. But like, you know, the, I always want, once I had decided I wanted to write, it just became like a stronger and stronger desire. But 
I was not um, very literary as a kid. I was, uh, like I said, late bloomer. So when was the push for your decision to make the first book or write the first book? How old were um, you? So I was still working as a graphic designer when I signed with my first agent and we worked together on that first book and it was like brutal to work nine to five. I had to get up at like 5 a.m. to write before work and then get home from work and write again. Like it was so hard. I was like, oh, this is going to be like impossible to do both. Um, but I was like really hating my day job at that time. So like long story short, I did the thing they always tell you not to do is I quit my day job <laughs> and I moved in with my mother and then I focused my attention entirely on being a writer. Before then, it was always like in my, my weekends, my spare time, like trying to do it while I did other things. But it was so hard that way and much slower and I'm very impatient. So I was like, you know what? Like, I hate my day job right now. Like, you know, how can I like do this, focus this, focus my attention on this to give it a real chance. So quit my job, moved in with my mother, wrote like I had some savings. I'm like, I will survive for, you know, it was about a year that I managed it before I had to go back to work. And I worked like super hard on writing and like some, I was doing like graphic design freelance and stuff, but it was like, this is my chance to give it all I had because I was just so sick of my day job. And I was just so obsessed with wanting to be a writer at that point. I was like in such a rush. Like I just wanted it so bad. So I love it that. for me. I dove in and it worked, yeah. but it was kind of, you know, kind of a risky move, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're also like glazing over the actual like specific challenges and tribulations that occurred in the midst of it oh, yeah, when it was happening. Time. Yeah. But I mean, going back to like graphic design is also a place where like there's so many opinions, there's clients and you kind of have to like, you have to go with the flow or you start getting annoyed. Yeah, it was a good lesson in how to let go of your art a little bit. Like, and I even like I said, I went to school for visual arts like my degree is in visual arts and that you know every week we put our stuff up on the walls and kind of like rip each other yeah, apart crits, yeah yeah so I learned early how to like separate myself a little which I think was helpful um yeah. especially once you start working with an editor like they're going to criticize you repeatedly and you have to find a way to like to be able to hear it and not be so stubborn and you're like no you're wrong no you're wrong you have to not let it destroy you like you know it's mm -hmm. a kind of thing and I think I learned that from art school and then from being a graphic designer because you know, you spend hours on something, you hand it over and they're like, no, we're going to start over and do something different. They're like, uh. <laughs> like uh, you have to go, okay, with a smile, cool, sure. Like you have to sort of like take it in stride and be able to take feedback and to right. not to be able to let go and say, okay, this isn't mine anymore. It's, you know, which writing is a little more personal than that, but yeah, I definitely that's learned what, some things. That's what I'm noticing is like the common thread in sort of achieving a goal or having a finished product is like, the complete relinquishment of ego mm -hmm. and i notice that in like some acting seminars when i'm watching other people's work and how they take direction or even my husband's a writer and i edit his work because i consider mm -hmm. myself a writer first and i've managed to get this beautiful arc of this this fulfilling way of being exposed to text but mm -hmm. i'll like, edit his work and I can, I, it's fun watching someone that you know very well, like digest criticism <laughs> and, and then, and I'm just like, sort of like patiently waiting to see like how it's going, what the output's going to be. <laughs> and, uh, I think I'm, I think it's a Canadian thing. I find us like very honest and very blunt or maybe it's just me. I don't know, <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but, um, I'm very direct. So when it's, when I see something, I'm like, this, this should be better, you know, like you can call it out, you know, this can be better. 
out of yeah. love. This can be better. You're better than this this paragraph. <laughs> yeah, this this writing is lazy. Like, what is this? Is this a placeholder for? <laughs> wow, you have a strong relationship. Oh I would God. probably not be pleased if my boyfriend's gonna do uh, it. <laughs> I mean, it comes from a place of knowing. I think if I if I was like completely baseless and like unsupported in what I yeah. was saying, I'd be like, I don't actually know. I can't help you. <laughs> but... Right, which is yeah. <laughs> you know, like what did you say to me? <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's true. Like it, it's how someone interprets it is huge, and it, when you have a good working relationship, it's really valuable. Like yeah. you two together and like whoever you're representing you like it's really important that you see eye to eye like I, yeah. I've had author friends who like to get an edit letter and it just doesn't make any sense to them and that's like a scary feeling when you're not on the same page so yes it can be really valuable to make sure you have those right relationships pick the right people but you can't always again you can't always have control and you have to trust yourself and push back and it's tricky you like yes I know when you, like you said the ego thing like when you're just being defensive and when you're like no no I'm trying to protect like what, you know, like I'm, I'm being like, it, it's a hard line to, it's a hard line to yeah. walk. Yeah, I know. And I've learned to value like communication. Sometimes if like, I feel like a certain way, like, or like I'm watching someone be like, I don't understand this. And suddenly you can see like, there's like a, an obstacle. <laughs> They've yeah. like blocked yourself yeah. off and you're like, wait, let's like, let's figure this out. Like, let's communicate through this because clearly we both have our own things going on. And I think right. we all want the same thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <that's a> good <laughs> <point>. yeah. <laughs> so fascinating just to find the experience a, of the world <laughs> yeah it's uh it's you know it can make you it can be really hard mentally for sure trying to create anything like trying to put anything out there is yeah asking and especially in this day and age where you're so accessible people can just say whatever they want to you and it's kind of scary and like you gotta protect your protect yourself and trust the right people make sure you have people that will tell you the truth Yes. And hope that, you know, and hopefully you you can hear it, but also that you know when you need to fight back and point out, you know, it's a whew. yeah, trusting yeah. yourself is definitely key. Yeah, honestly, always, so important. I think you're always honing that like instinct, your own instinct. Like I was just, I was working on like my my next fantasy book that's coming out. Like you know, me and my editor were going back and forth on something. I was like, am I just being stubborn, or am I, you know, like it's a hard thing to right. know. Like, am I being defensive? Is this like am I? It's like the oh. self awareness is yeah, like, like, like so I... helpful. <laughs> It's like your brain's like, okay, just do it, whatever. Like, I, forget I, it. I have those conversations with myself too, being like, is this anxiety or am I just yeah. hungry? <laughs> like, Never can. Maybe it's both. <laughs> maybe it's both. Or maybe I just need to sleep. Like, yeah, well. <laughs> it's so true. Sleep on it, like step away from it. <laughs> yes, the obsession. <laughs> Can't help but like obsess over no. certain things. And I'm like really particular. I'm kind of a purist about certain things. I don't know if that's how you are. I mean, I feel like with your with your visual art background and your graphic design experience, does that help shape how you visualize your characters in your world? Like, do you see things cinematically in your head playing out as they come out through your writing? I wonder, I don't know what, people don't usually say my writing is cinematic, so I'm not sure I see it that way, but I am very it visual. Is. <laughs> is it? Well, thank you. I mean, I haven't really been, I can't think anyone's ever said that to me. But I like I love you know I, I've been told it's like I have um, lyrical lyrical writing which I care about that like I care about the word choice and everything but I am very visual like the way the words look on the page the way like I I have to see like I've heard of um, which is interesting because I love the audiobooks I know some people can't do audiobooks because 
they, they need, like they get lost when it's just in their ears. Like they need that like anchor of the word. But anyway, um, <clears throat> oh, sorry. What was I saying? God bless you. <laughs> Visualizing <laughs> cinematic writing. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I've heard of writers who will like dictate they'll like speak their words and they'll dictate like on like software that can dictate their words. But for me, I really need to like see the words as I type them. Like, I think I'm really visual in that way. Cool. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's always, it's kind of a mystery. I think like how it all, how it so all it's comes just, together. It's like a meditative state for you. You're just, yeah, it's just kind of... I think like it, being, being a professional writer and suddenly answering these kinds of questions. I'm like, Oh, like I hadn't, you don't really think, I don't think about, how you do stuff right until someone asks you and you go oh uh, I don't, you're trying to think of like a good answer and sometimes you just i don't know it just happens i feel like we should trade you should ask me like a strange difficult question about me like narrating i'll be like you're right i don't <laughs> okay let's let's do it let me think of something good here. okay yeah fine. when you when you get uh a job offer like do you get just the parts you, like what do they send you to know if you're even interested like how does it how does it work like how, how does the process happen for you on your so there's end? there's different ways sometimes um like for your book they had just told me like here's a book this is the deadline this is the character can you do you have the availability to record it and i always say yes if it's being handed to me like it's right. it's been really serendipitous that my schedule just like opens up and then a new book comes in and i can actually do it and i always feel like it's been crazy every single book i've narrated for every character that i've had everything about the characters have been so familiar to me like the talking to animals thing mm -hmm. kind of a real thing a little bit it's a little crazy i'm still discovering this magic talent it's very strange oh cool <laughs> I, I don't understand birds which is really interesting because this ah, book is you know yeah birds. <laughs> about the birds. well i'm scared of birds people think that's funny when i tell them that, <laughs> that is funny <laughs> Like, let's write about them to get over my fear. Big bird <laughs> covered in fire. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, so I'll always say yes because I feel like there was there's so much work behind the scenes that I don't know about that it finally comes to be presented to me and I go, right. okay, this is what I'm gonna do. Um, the other way is I'll have to audition for it, right. and usually I'll get like um, I guess like three or four pages from the book, and then I'll go into my booth right here and then i'll just read it and then i'll wait and sometimes i hear back and sometimes i don't um but yeah it's been it's actually been really cool because i don't know i i haven't learned until i started the podcast that what the process is for finding me right and i never knew that it was just like here's like Ferdell and like three other narrators yeah. and that you know like i actually get <laughs> i actually get chosen and it actually makes me feel so much so special when after i've spent so much time with your words and then <laughs> after all this time like oh this is really like like a match <laughs> yeah that's so true do you like you change i've only heard one sa other sample from you Mm -hmm. Like, do you spend time thinking about what the voice will be like, or does it just kind of come to you as you're reading it? Depending on the writing, I find that the words dictate the character. Nice. Sometimes the, you know, the author won't say, he said, and then it'll just be like suddenly quotations. And I'll have to be mm -hmm. like, oh, like, who is this person? What are they saying? Like, it's, it's very much like, it is very much the base of acting for me. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I have I, I don't really know how many voices I have in general. There's like a rainbow of different voices and it's mostly right. just based on attitudes and intentions. So that's usually how it changes. But I have this one of the first books I read. I mean, I didn't realize going into this career that erotica was like the highest selling genre of audiobooks. And I was like really? oh. I was like, oh no. <laughs> so the first I always book- think about the narrator when I'm listening to a book that has spicy scene. I'm like, oh, this poor person <laughs> reading. I don't know Thank why. you. Because yeah, it's like, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, because the first book I read was um was written by someone whose first language was Italian mm-hmm. and English was their second language, obviously. And so the and the erotica scenes were very like kind of not using the right synonyms so it'd be like so I would be the man's voice and the woman's voice and I'd be like hey it's me (laughs) (laughs) oh it's you (laughs) like oh my god and I come out of the booth like ah I'm sweaty and uncomfortable (laughs) it's a skill to be able to do the men and the women because that science can ruin an audiobook if someone if a woman can't do a man's voice or vice versa they make it sort of silly sounding like it worries me it worries me sometimes that now (laughs) and you know when you were voicing the other like when you were reading sparrow and you were voicing like kate or whoever like it's it didn't it sounded good it didn't sound like it didn't sound good i've heard yeah i know i've heard narratives where they're like i'm a boy and they're like really go for it and you're like oh kind of too much you know or yeah, I think what helped with Wings of Shadow was like there were very clear points of view with all of your characters. So when I did voice Kate or when I did voice any of, you know, anybody else, it was like these people were talking to each other and coming from right. different points. And I was like, I can do I can do that. But when right. it's just like uh, this dialogue doesn't mean anything. And I go, I have, yeah. to, I have to pretend I've, it's all it's really all about the words. But I have to like be like, OK, let's just put more in. <laughs> put, put some so, spice in it. Yeah. yeah. Put some in it, yeah. Exactly. So I don't sound like a boy. All right. So, I, so uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Really interesting. yeah, it's really fun. It's it's really, really, really cool to be able to. I, I love books. I'm like obsessed with books. Anytime I like find a library in the area, I go, ooh, I love books. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like when I first moved to California, I found the Santa Monica Public Library and I was with a friend who didn't know me very well. We had just met and I went, ooh, I love libraries. <laughs> He's like, who are you? And I was like, what? Don't you love books? I love books. It just like just like trapes into the library. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing oh libraries the library is good there i don't know toronto library is pretty good but oh my know. god I, only, I usually do the digital i almost exclusively do digital for the library. i do now but the tpl like raised me yeah <laughs> yes nice. yes yeah, it definitely pretty good. I, I mostly go to I mostly went to like events in the libraries like i i but when i borrow stuff it's usually audiobooks so digital and like yeah. ebooks. i usually buy physical books i don't know why i just i like to keep them on my shelf you know but do you have the sort of book hoarding thing where like you find a book you get the book and then maybe you don't get to reading it ever yes I collect books I don't always <laughs> read them but I collect them I haven't read half of these probably <laughs> I just like... I bought like 10 books in the past week <laughs> I'm like oh boy am I ever gonna read these who knows <laughs> it's actually good to know because I was a little intimidated I was like wow like Nikki really reads books. <laughs> no, I mean, I try again, but like even 
even the ones I buy physical signs, I'll listen to the audiobook. I never even cracked a physical copy. Like I, you know, <laughs> I like to have it on my shelf. Me too. Especially if you the know, cover is nice or you like the description, yeah. like I'm going to buy this. For sure. Yes. And it's something, there's something fun about like just when some, a book catches, you know, for some reason it catches your eye and like something magical, if you grab it and it's a great yes. book, it just feels like it's meant to be. I know. Um, I'm definitely a hoarder. Like I've, way more than I could ever read um, and then I usually just like give them to like my niece or like whatever I'm like ah, I'm yeah like I've had a book for 10 years and I haven't read it yet I'm probably not gonna read it so <laughs> I'm gonna throw the in the towel the same way and yeah. I don't know if mo most areas have this but you know there's like always those free libraries on the side mm -hmm. of the road in some neighborhoods it's like take one and I go I really shouldn't I really shouldn't I really shouldn't and I look and I'm like ooh, ooh. I try and put mine there um, that's the best there was one just around me here but it, they took it away it wasn't like you know it wasn't like greatest like it just was like books that I wouldn't necessarily pick but I put some of mine in there but I'm just <laughs> terrible for books on sale like there's a great used bookstore um kind of near me and like oh god I'll go there and look for hours like just <laughs> you know I don't know it's like, <laughs> I'm like hey it's cheap <laughs> so you know that's a whole other thing but no I'm terrible that's so funny I'm definitely a book collector sometimes book reader <laughs> <laughs> always book writer <laughs> yeah I honestly, it's hard I think like my reading is really slowed down um just now I'm working on two books simultaneously which is new and I'm just like oh, I, just, wow. I don't have the time to read it like I know you're supposed to make the time and I try but I'm just my reading is really slowed down I didn't so realize just, you were writing these next two books simultaneously yes I've been working switching kind of back and forth between them so that was that's been hard that is hard <laughs> this, this fall is going to be harder that's what i'm going to be doing sort of the two like with my editors like thus far i've been managing them both on my own in my private time switching between them and now i'm going to hand them in and have to so we'll see <laughs> because of deadlines right that's why yes and just you know having to coordinate um having to coordinate the schedule means you know they do their best but there's overlap and i, I have to kind of just figure it out but it's my first time doing two at once so See amazing i expect great things i think it's gonna be amazing i'm like I'll be first Thank in you. line they all <laughs> and those I, you'd be a great narrator for the middle grade too you have that right voice you'd be great for it i'll see if i have any sway <laughs> you know how to find me <laughs> yeah but i'm the perfect person oh, like yeah. i said i haven't had like i didn't pick anyone else so i think who know i don't know if i'll ever be asked again like it's sort of a it's different every time for right. every author, I think. So you never know. But yeah, ownership, Nikki. <laughs> yeah, I should really push. Like, look, I know, I know an audiobook narrator. She's really good at erotica. I heard she loves to read erotica. <laughs> Her favorite. So I guess I should write some. <laughs> I was telling my husband, who does not, like, he clearly, he's not a writer of erotica, but he yeah. was told by someone he had sent um, one of his manuscripts to, he was like, he was like, oh, they don't really do that. So they kind of rejected me, but they do do romance. And I was like, write a romance. <laughs> It'll be hilarious. <laughs> Oh, please man. yeah it's definitely a female dominated space but who knows just, who knows? just for fun did he do just like novels or does he do like tv and movies and yeah sorts? so he's a screenwriter that's what he went to oh. school for and then i was and we were having you know problems trying to figure out like how to get his stuff made 
and mm-hmm. I, and clearly a lot of the things being made now are like intellectual property. Nothing's yeah. original. So I was like, you know what you got to do? You just got to make a book and then it's intellectual property and then someone will make it. And you could get hired to write your own script. You know, some authors do that. You know, yeah. like reverse engineer. It's <laughs> so a good time to be a content creator just because all these, all these streaming services, they all want stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's still, whether or not it gets made is a whole other thing. But I know. It's something for everyone. And <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. There's, there's so much. I mean, there's still, I don't know, books, like if they're buying, I know for a while they were like buying so many books. I think it slowed down a little, or at least in like, you know, young adults, which is what I know most about. Yeah, for a while I mean, there, I remember they're buying up so many books, but I think it slowed down a little, even I'm before. I'm really curious about that. Cause I mean, I don't have kids. I don't really know anyone who has kids. So I'm always curious, like what do kids consume nowadays? Like, are they reading? Are they listening to audiobooks? Like, what do they digest? I don't know. I don't they definitely, know. like, I know my nieces who are, like, I have nieces and nephews. My nieces are the older ones. They love to read. They're big readers. Amazing. Um, but I, I think that, like, it's more about TV. They love bringing YouTube and, like, TikTok and these really short, like, these short, shorter, uh, like, platforms. So I don't know. I think they're still reading. I hope so. Well, maybe let's hope they're like late bloomers like you. They start getting into it when they're like yeah, 17, 18. <laughs> better. The book's always better, guys. <laughs> I can imagine. Always better. Yeah, when I when I would go to the Toronto Public Library as a kid, my dad would let he would go into like, you know, the adult section, mature, you know, older literature, and I'd go into like my young adult section. And I would literally like read the first two pages of a book and be like, fascinating. And then I'd start like a stack of them. And I would have stacks like, I don't know, like probably taller than my torso, and I'd have to bring them to the counter and be like, I'm taking all of these. He's like, Okay, dear. Yeah, and he'd be like, Of course. No problem. And then We'd get home and I'd literally like sit on the couch and just like read book after book after book. <laughs> and I was like, I love this. And I feel like I never grew out of young adult or middle grade. It's like, it's my favorite genre. Well, it is, you know, it's funny. Like, I think a lot of adults read those genres. And I think, because it's like coming of age, like yes. it's sort of a timeless. And like some of the best like movies and the most iconic movies and shows are, are coming, there's coming of age characters on them. Like, I think it's a, it doesn't always get the respect I think like kids stories don't always get the respect they deserve but like they're the most some of them the most like foundational stories like that yes. like the most popular or the most like I don't know it just they're they're universal especially if they're done right I think yeah like, if the they're themes. done the right way they're yeah like the themes and the content yes the themes and the yeah. and the commentary are always so healing and like yeah. r- like reflective and I just I For can't sure. get enough I think they're great and then sometimes when they're it's hopeful, like you know? yeah they're hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> I love like watching characters grow and you know yeah oh my god yes and I, like I, I keep mentioning Tamara Pierce um she used to do this thing like she did the thing where her characters aged up each book in the series and I just always cool. really love that you know like because you get to literally see the character grow from like you know maybe 12 or something to like a teenager and like you know it was this that's a real like satisfying I don't know yeah something about that is so fun and yeah I, I guess it's just we all can relate to that time in your you trilogy is there a time span of years of when it like the story begins and you know the it's conclusion probably like a year a year maybe total. that's intense so, that's yeah so intense. It's close together yeah it's kind of like mean, Lord of the Rings <laughs> yeah I mean when I, when I first was conceiving of the idea I loved the idea of the character's like aging up like starting a bit younger and then having them age up but the problem is then you straddle age categories in publishing so because I thought 
with the girl dresses boy trope, it's a little more believable if the girl is say 12 and not like 16, right? Mm-hmm. She's not through puberty necessarily. Yeah, it's a little more believable, right? So yeah. I was like, oh, maybe she should start younger and then grow up. But again, it's like, well, that would make make it like a middle grade book and then it will be a YA book. And like, that's like too much for publishing to handle. So <laughs> even though lots of book series have done it, it's just like one of those tricky things. So I just stuck with it being older because I wanted there to be romance and stuff. So I was like, okay, fine. But I love that like concept and I love that idea of characters growing up on the page and stuff. I think it's so fun. <laughs> you know, there's like logistical concerns. <laughs> I know the reality Sadly. of behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, like if you're a super duper bestseller, you can do whatever you want. But if you're not, <laughs> you play by the rules a little bit. <laughs> um, so what are the things that you have to have with you to get into the zone? Or are you just oh. like, I'm going for it? <laughs> Not that much, really. Like, I like to... Actually, one thing I've done in recent years, which has helped me a lot, which is going to sound kind of crazy, is I installed um, blackout curtains on my window so I can turn my off into a dungeon. Nice. And this is really helpful for me because for whatever reason, like, daylight is really distracting. <laughs> when it's a beautiful day, I want to go outside. I want to like do things. I'm like, no, you have to sit and stare at the screen for the next eight hours. Like, no. So I can like black out my room, which is really helpful. Um, besides that, I usually start with a tea, um, some music, you know, nothing like just sort of, I usually use like uh, film or TV scores, um, like Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones. Like I love those kind of, you know, without without uh, too many lyrics, right? Just yeah. orchestral or whatever. Um, and that's kind of it. Music, computer, dark room. That's it's amazing. It's that's like, my, yeah. it's like the, the womb of creation. Honestly, and I remember I recently, it's like a cave, literally. And I, I did this like, uh, I don't know if you've ever done like the Myers-Briggs personality type stuff. Yes. So I'm an INTJ okay. and I found another INTJ who's an author who does like a podcast and she does a lot of like writing, um, like nonfiction books about writing and stuff. She's amazing. Her name's KM Wyland. Anyway, um, I was listening to her podcast and she's INTJ and she mentioned something about how her best, like we do, we thrive without distraction and like writing in a dark room alone is like our best like situation. I'm like, Oh my God, it's so true. Like that's like been the best thing, best change I've made in recent years was to get those blackout blinds. Like it really, cause it allows you to kind of make your own environment. Right. So that you're not, you're not the whims of the daylight or the rainy day or whatever it is. You just like block it out and you're in your own like sort of universe. And I was like, Oh my God, I guess it's a, like a personality type thing maybe but it for so the- works for me like I don't know it just does will you explain to everyone what INTJ is in case they don't know Ooh, okay intuitive. Yeah, so in- yes in- oh wait oh, sorry. In- introverted introverted sorry in- intuitive thinking judging. judging um so it's either you're either introverted or extroverted, extroverted. you're um intuitive or what is it analytical I no, I think it's one with an S, like a sen- sensing? sensing. Sensing, sensing. Yeah. So you're either introverted or extroverted. You're either sensing or intuitive. You're either thinking or feeling. Feeling, yeah. And then you're judging or... Is it a P? Perceiving? Perceiving, maybe? I think so, yeah. So, I mean, if you Google it, it's fascinating. Yes. Um, it's Myers-Briggs, it's called. So basically, like, I'm a judgmental introvert. <laughs> 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 I don't know, like, it's... I've done a lot of like there's um 
there's like writing courses based on your personality type. There's all sorts of information, oh, cool. up there, but it really resonated for me. Like and every time I do, I've taken the tests, like there's online tests for it. Every time I would get the same result. Like I'm really firmly in that category. Um, but a lot of it really makes like sense for me. I'm very, I am very introverted. Um, and just the judging, like I'm very analytical and sort of critical thinker. And like, that's in the judging category. Um, and I'm not overly, like, I think the, um, feeling like I, I don't I'm able to be quite like cut off from that stuff when I'm like creating and I'm working like it's it's just it really resonates for me and like it's funny though because it's a very like um like a villain personality type like if you look at like famous INTJs are all wackos I'm like oh cool <laughs> count me in <laughs> like it's like oh okay like cool cool like <laughs> I think it might be a bit of a sociopath that's okay um but it's, it's really like, and it's a very small, like I think only like one or 2% of women are INTJs. It's kind of a, a rare one, but anyway, um, they're all so very cool. interesting. Everyone I know, I make them take this Myers-Briggs thing because it's always bang on. I'm like, oh my God, that's so you. And like, it's so like fascinating to me. I love doing them. Anyway, I love yeah, so I love, many different ones. Yours? Um, I can't remember, but I know it was like E, N, I think I was, I think I was, T and that was the last one because it wasn't judging it was sensing or feeling or sensing yeah I can't remember I'll do it later and then I'll send it to you yeah you should I think it's so fascinating and like I said it's always been really bang on for me and it really like illuminates like I said you know it helps you see yourself more like you know the circumstances that help you create or like your relationships with people it's just really interesting. But anyway, yeah, it was cool to meet a fellow writer who gives out writing advice who had the same personality same. type as me. I was like, yes, like, help me. Fix <laughs> me. Blackout <laughs> curtains. Yeah, blackout curtains right in the dungeon. It works for you. Don't question it. <laughs> was it like a coincidence that you had already had the blackout curtains and then you listened to hers? Yes, and were like, me very, too. It was very recent. Like, I had just recently, like, bought them. I'm like, oh my God, like, that's exactly, like, that's exactly me. It just helped so much. I don't know. I just, I think it's, and we all have various like distraction levels and stuff and, and like focus levels. I think for me, it just helps like simplify. Like I don't, um, it seems like internet and stuff, right? Like we all can tolerate certain levels of it. And it's really the internet is bad for all of us when we're trying to focus and create things. Um, but I'm not, I'm not someone who's overly like distractible, but it just simplifies things for me to like be able to like cut off the light. I have my little lamp. Like I have my ambiance. I'll light a candle sometimes. Like I'm in control of the situation. It just helps. I don't know. Yeah. It just works. It just works. What can I say? I mean, I feel like I don't have windows in here. The idea, I would love to have a window one day because right. my, my session sessions in here are usually like four, four or five hours long. And then I'll come out if I do it during the day, which mm. I rarely do because of noise, like mm. if cars or anything. So I have taken to recording at like 10 p.m. at night to like mm. three in the morning because the world is asleep. I don't want to text anyone, you know, no yes, one can message me. That's part of what gave me the blackout curtain idea because I was noticing that my best writing was early, early when it was dark still. And once the sun had gone down, it was like in the winter. So like the days were shorter. Yeah. Because now it's sunny till like, you know, 9 p.m. Yeah. But in the winter, it's like five o'clock and it's blackout. Um, so that was, I was like, why am I doing so much better at these times? I think it is the perception that the world is kind of asleep, that nothing's really happening. It like tricks my brain into thinking like, oh, it's just you in this book, nothing else going on. Like, Whereas if the sun, like, you know, the window's open, the birds are chirping, people are out doing things. I want to be out doing things. Same. Like, yeah. So I came to Matt, like LA is so 
California is so beautiful. I would be like so distracted. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was really hard. So we left LA in the pandemic because it was difficult. Right. And then um, my in-laws live up here in Northern California. So we came up here and I was actually in the middle of like two books. So I was recording those books in my in-laws walk-in closet. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to get those books done at home in LA at the time. And it was like the riots were happening. Helicopters oh, were going off, wow. police sirens, ambulances. And like, people were quarantining at home so I could hear the neighbor's children home right. all the time. And I was like this is not okay. I just this want to work. I'm oh, very tired. And I became like nocturnal. I think it was yeah. me, like trauma, <laughs> like processing trauma. So I'd be like, and I'd be up for Eastern Standard Time to like check on my family. So I'd be up at 5 a.m. when they woke up being like, hi, are you guys okay? Okay, I'm going to bed. And then I'd wake up at like 5 p.m. <laughs> wow you like vampired it you're like oh my god it. yeah and then like in between i couldn't do work because i was awake i don't know <laughs> it was weird it's a strange time but like here i am and we moved to napa and this is the only closet in our house because <laughs> it's, right, like old it's not studio. <laughs> and it's my studio and my clothes are everywhere <laughs> you you record them all yourself all the audiobooks yourself or do you sometimes have to go into a studio has that ever happened like actually the... um i just got uh a new title for Audible Studios, and I'll be recording in studio for the first time in San Francisco oh, in the cool. beginning of August. And oh. it'll be really nice to be back in the recording studio because my history is like recording artists, singer songwriter. That's like what right. I did. Um, yeah. Do you remember um, Sharon Lois and Bram and like Marcus? See, yes. Americans don't. So it's hard for me to explain that. Like that's sort of what I started in grade one the our grade school teacher needed like a choir for marcus so i was like one of the kids in the studio singing like backup oh vocals. my god you're famous I, <laughs> I think my i think i have my name in the cassette tape like flyer <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. My mom has it somewhere. But is like, that a comedian show, Sharon Lewis and Brad? It is. It is. Okay. Yeah. I thought yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my so, God. That's cool. I know. So I'm excited to go back in the studio since, you know, like we all haven't. It would really be like there. a few days, right? Or how long? Four would it days. Um, I normally do like, say, four hour sessions here or like one hour sessions if it's a really mm -hmm. long book. But I've requested to do six hours four days back to back to back to back so i'm gonna be like uh <laughs> you know like take care of your voice and I know, yeah i know i lose I my voice extremely easily like one day out and i'm like my voice is scratchy i mean i have a scratchy voice anyway but <laughs> i like your voice oh thank you <laughs> i've been told it's uh raspy and um <laughs> roti i don't know people say weird things yeah like uh I can't remember. I've just had some really weird uh, people describe it. I'm like, I love it. It's really rich. It's really rich. Thank you. And it's filled with like a lot of personality. Just... It's distinctive, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's distinctive. When I was a kid, people used to call the house and think I was my mom. Because like, I sounded like, I don't know, old and mature. I'm like, okay. Like, no, I'm, I'm a child. Yeah, I am a child. <laughs> yeah, but yeah I, I have a very like I think a weak instrument <laughs> you I like one day of talking and I'm like <laughs> oh my god it scares me when like at the end of days like this when I'm like in the booth for so long and like I have I feel like a slight soreness I'm like oh no oh mm -hmm. no oh no oh no ginger everything ginger honey lemon yeah. and I'm just like pounding them back <laughs> keep my voice from failing like you must know all the tricks 
I know some. I'm still learning some new ones. I just got like new drops for the next coming weeks and something called singing straws. We'll see if I actually use them because I don't Ooh. really, I don't like gimmicky things, but right. if it helps, it helps. So Yeah, whatever it takes, I guess, right? I think of those, uh, I watch a lot of basketball. Yeah, NBA. Raptors. <laughs> and um, they're always sucking back like the fisherman's friend or like lozenges, right? Because they're yelling oh. all day, every day. I'm like, what? Like, I hate right. those things. I guess if you're constantly yelling, you need like something. So yeah. I sort of, Altoids, yeah. Yeah, like something, I guess, to keep your, you know, if you're like, you know, bone dry, you're screaming for like two and a half hours every single night, I guess. Like, I don't know. They have some abuse on their voices, but <laughs> you're gonna see this if if you hop on Instagram. We I was just in animation voiceover class yesterday, and we did our final project, which was presenting twelve of our voices. And Ooh. I'm kind of an overachiever, so instead of just like reading lines from the characters I have, I like wrote a script of like the characters in a classroom, and it's like a crazy classroom. And at the end of me doing this like almost six minute sketch of my own voice doing 12 characters I was like oh, I'm just not gonna talk for a while <laughs> <laughs> no kidding I was just like screaming oh at the end like oh. <laughs> <laughs> like I said I lose my voice so we like just and I think now that I've become a writer and I'm alone and not talking most days like I don't have a day job where I can talk to people like I think my voice is like out of disuse I'm like like yeah I talk for half an hour I'm like oh like I'm not used to talking to people that's so I'll feel this I'll feel this later I'll be like ah. that's why I scheduled the podcast for this time because my voice doesn't wake up until like noon pacific standard time oh, okay because cool. before that I'm like hi it's me <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> hi no. I'm Nikki <laughs> yeah. people would be able to tell us apart but now we're good <laughs> who's who yeah <laughs> oh my god nikki this has been so much fun i feel like i could talk to you and just have a gas for like the next like forever yeah. i love really getting good. to know you and i can't wait for the rest of your body of work to come out thank you you too i'm excited you're still doing audiobooks and i hope you get to do more of mine that'd be super cool oh my gosh they cool. don't ask me but i i picked you you're the only one i've ever picked so you're my favorite obviously oh. <laughs> no <laughs> oh, <I'll> stop. Stop. <laughs> thanks canadian very modest very canadian <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> well, say hello to my home country for me. <laughs> I certainly will. I miss it. And um maybe we'll touch base again soon. I'd love to have you back and yeah, see how it all back. goes. Cool. Thank have you. an amazing rest of your summer. Thank you. You sex. too. Good luck in San Francisco. Thank you. <laughs> all right. See you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>